So they began to address it one by one. And literally quarter by quarter, that product market fit number started to tick up. And I think uh, last time they updated that blog post, it was close to 60%, which is enormous. That's, that's insane. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right, Jonathan, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me back on again, Jim. Can't wait to hit on the topic we have scheduled for today. You're, I should probably start with the like, or stop with the intros and the welcomes because you're on so frequently. Um, yeah. We need to <laughs> cut the formalities. Today, we want to talk about something we've been kind of obsessed with, with this startup studio that we're, we're launching. It's this idea of how do you know you have product market fit and how do you validate these ideas that you have or how do you validate a company you'd want to acquire? And in a previous episode, Jonathan and I announced the $3 million challenge that we're doing where the thought is, and Jonathan and I have this growth marketing agency called GrowthHead. It's like, hey, if we're such a good growth team, why can't we grow our own companies, our own brands? And so instead of talking about it, we're like, let's actually do this. So our goal is to grow three companies to over seven figures in sales, one being our own agency. The second is a DTC brand. A third is a company we would acquire. And so we've already achieved that with our agency. So we're working on the other two. But as we're looking to go down that path, we're trying to build the right muscles and the right system to be able to do that. And a big part of that is validating ideas and understanding product market fit. So Jonathan, do you want to talk about like the purpose of why we're like putting so much energy and effort into this? Anything else you want to add? Absolutely. So I think this also comes from my experience working with a lot of clients and seeing them banging their heads, working on projects that quite frankly, don't have much prospects. And there's huge opportunity costs, especially with like all the other potential ideas and even the business we're working on right now, which is the agency. So we want to make sure that we're working on something that the market wants and so that we can focus most of our energy on the, on the one project or a few projects for that matter have, that have the greatest potential to grow and get us to the, uh, the desired uh, end goal. So that's the big purpose behind validating these ideas early when it's still cheap, in term, both in terms of time and also money. So that's the big takeaway and the reason why we're so focused on validating ideas. Yeah, I mean, and just for context, at our agency, we'll be doing sales calls or lead calls that people want us to be their growth team, but sometimes they want us to be their savior because they're like, I've got this website, I've got this product, nothing's selling. And Yanth and I will get into the numbers. And we when we see some red flags, it's like around like, hey, really low conversion rate, really low repeat purchase rate. All your traffic is from paid and the, the unit economics aren't good. We'll be like, please don't hire us. If anything, go talk to your customers, go iterate on the product. Cause we've tried to be those saviors before. We'll like fall in love. We'll have empathy for these founders and we want to help them, but then it just, it ends up backfiring. So yeah, we're trying not to do that to ourselves, but um, Jonathan, for someone that's like, okay, I hear this thing called product market fit. Okay. Whatever. How would you define it to someone in layman's term? What does product market fit even mean? Yeah, I think the most layman I can, I can get this is 
is there a market for what you're making essentially is do people want the product that you're making hence the product market fit title but i think there are many technical definitions and i'll get into that in just a moment but fundamentally the big thing is you're making this idea i'm sorry you're working on this project you're obviously very obsessed about it but are there people who are willing to part money for it essentially that's the big question and it's it's a very challenging way to define most startups go through this very difficult process of just trying to get their change it tweak it so that it gets to the point where there's enough demand for it in the market but at the end of the day is there someone who wants your product that's like the most basic definition i can give you for product market fit yeah and it sounds warm and fuzzy and we'll get into some ways to actually quantify it but mark andreessen has a good quote around it that i'm not even going to try and say i'd butcher it but it simply goes you know it when you have it. It's like you don't even have a good version of your product, your service, and you can't handle the demand of people coming at you trying to hand you money. The companies that don't have it are a little bit in denial. You're like, oh my gosh, we're one product iteration from ramping this thing up, or we're one business development opportunity from closing the deal. And, or it's like, Hey, once we find that right acquisition channel, we're there. I know. Cause I've been a part of those startups that are in denial uh, of no man's yeah. land. And it's, it's, it's a tough place to be, but simply put, you'll know it when you have it, but that's not a good enough answer. How, how should you measure if you even have this thing called product market? Fit? Yeah, this is actually my favorite part. So what many people refer to and like when they talk about measuring product market fit are actually the lagging indicators. As you were just saying, when the press is knocking on your door and you're featured on all these awesome publications, friends, your mom is calling you about this product that you just launched. That's when you know you've hit product market fit. But actually the most important um, way to measure it is using some like early indicators of product market fit. So, and I think the best definition I've seen of product market fit is by Sean Ellis person I think who also probably coined growth hacking. And his definition is if you were to survey, let's say, out of the 100 people who are using your product, and this could be early, early days, if you were to survey them, how, what percentage of those people would say they would be really, really disappointed that if your product were to not exist the next day? And his number that he's, I think, identified after years of trial and, trial and error working with many startups is 40%. So if you have 40% of your users who are obsessed with your product, who are, would be very disappointed if it didn't exist the next day, then by that definition, you've hit product market fit. And the best part about this definition is something that you can control. You can actually tweak the variables. It's, it's, not, it's not set in stone. Uh, it, allows, it gives you a roadmap to actually get to work on your product so you get over that 40% hurdle. And we can go into more and more detail about what that means for companies, but I think that's definitely the one thing, the big takeaway is how do you get to that 40% mark of your users who would be obsessed, uh, who would be disappointed if we were to cease to exist the next day. That's like the number one way to measure product market fit. And it's so not sexy or exciting, but it's very doable. So if someone's listening to us yeah. like, wait, it's second, like crap, do I have this thing called product market fit? Go to Google Forms, make a Google Form, do a multiple choice question. How would you feel if this product went away? I forget what the other options are. We could put this in the show notes. But one of them is like very disappointed if it went away. Send that out in your email list. Do it as a text email, like a letter from a founder and see what people say. And the responses will, will be eye-opening. And one other call out, product market fit isn't something that you arrive at and you're there forever. 
it's something that can change, especially if you're working in software where new competitors come in, technology evolves. You want to have your finger on the pulse. So you want to be sending this out at a at a cadence, maybe it's quarterly, it's annually, whatever that is. Some other things that I would be looking at to understand traction and product market fit that we do in addition to this survey is, hey, what's the conversion rate? You know, for if it's an e-commerce company, what's the conversion rate? What is the repeat purchase rate? If that's a part of their business model. If it's a SaaS company, we're looking at how many people are opting in to potentially the free version or going from free to paid and then very much looking at churn and looking at, if there's some sort of land and expand opportunity, if you're a tool like Slack, if you're inviting friends and getting people or your colleagues and getting them onto it. So really looking at activation and retention metrics to understand the health of how these companies are. Actually, you just hit on a very interesting point, Jim. I just wanted to add referral rate as well would be big, I think, as a metric that you'd want to measure. It's another one of those health early indicators. So if you have um, a product that's getting referred almost organically, Slack would be a very good and interesting example. So once you enter a company, employees would refer that product to almost everyone they work with. I think that's a very, very telling early indicator. That's not part of the definition I gave earlier. No, that's a really good call out. All right, let's get into some examples of companies that have gone through a process of trying to find product market fit where it didn't work or they're like, holy crap, I'm onto something. Like I think Superhuman had a pretty cool one. Yeah, Superhuman is actually the most fascinating one. I've, I've done a lot of reading behind companies that have gone through this process, partly because I think no one has documented that process as well as Superhuman. Uh, the fascinating thing about Superhuman is the founder had a very huge and successful exit with the reportive uh, before Superhuman. And there was a lot of drive and I'm um, sorry, um, should say his investors when he launched Super, Superhuman were waiting for this huge launch to a large base of users. Yet he took the exact opposite approach, uh, where he methodically launched the smallest group of people. So it was white glove service, but it was more of a learning exercise for that team so that they can find out what percentage of their users would be disappointed if Superhuman didn't exist. And to answer your question earlier to the gym that you had, like on that survey, what are the other options? So it's very disappointed, somewhat disappointed. So these are the people on the fence, and then the others are not disappointed. And what Superhuman is uh, did is they took the people that were, would not be disappointed if super, Superhuman didn't exist and they completely discarded them. They didn't even want to pay attention to those people because they were going to pollute the data. So what Superhuman did essentially is took an initial read. And when they started, it was 22% of visitors who would be very disappointed if they didn't have Superhuman to use the next day. But they had a large portion of the respondents who were in that somewhat disappointed category. They were fence sitters. So essentially the exercise of getting to product market fit is pushing these people that were on the fence into the would the very disappointed category. And the way they did that is very fascinating. If you guys have a, an opportunity, I think uh, Jim, you can even add this to the show notes. It's There's an incredible article on first round about how they went through this process. So what they did is they surveyed those people who were in the uh, somewhat disappointed category to see if they understood the core features of superhuman. And also, they were also looking for potential objections that they had. So the beautiful thing is superhuman took those objections or the reasons why those people were not in the super and the very disappointed category. And they took those insights and built a product roadmap around it. So they began to address it one by one. And literally quarter by quarter, that product market fit number started to tick up. 
And I think uh, last time they updated that blog post, it was close to 60%, which is enormous. That's that's insane. And with that number, now when you open the floodgates and you try to go acquire visitors, it's very possible to scale a company dramatically. Your referral rates that I was just talking about will obviously go up because you essentially have a product that people want to share around. And that was the the roadmap they went through. But yeah, that's that's essentially the not so short summary of the superhuman product market fit journey. Yeah. I think what's interesting too is that somewhat disappointed option is real dangerous because you could be getting yeah. a bunch of those like, oh, people kind of like it. That might not be enough. It's probably not enough for you to invest your all your time and energy into what you're you are trying to grow. And so I love how they went after that category of people and try to see what would you need for this to be a, a must-have, something that you can't live without. Because that truly is the difference between these companies that had exponential growth and ones that just kind of flatline. And another thing, it's it's very much derived from people might be familiar with net promoter score, with are you a promoter or a detractor or are you passive? And everybody sees these surveys. It's like, hey, how would you rate your experience with the sauna on a scale of zero to 10? If you're a 10, they're like, boom, you're a prom- promoter. But if you're a seven, like, oh crap, you might eventually leave me or we're not yeah. doing something enough for you. And so really wanting to understand why people are on the fence. And I think being relentless about that is, is something, it's a muscle these companies should be building, right? To know like people that aren't obsessed with it, why isn't it? And what can you do to get them to that, to that next level? Um, some other examples, this one isn't as good as superhuman, but what I like about it is testing if you're onto something that people would actually want. And the best way to measure if people want something is not by them signing up for a wait list, it's by actually getting out their wallets and paying for something. And this one, rather than being in SaaS with superhuman, this is with direct consumer. The, I don't know if you saw the gravity blanket. Whenever they launched, essentially, it was the first weighted blanket. It's like 20 pounds. You wrap it around your buddy. It's like when you go to sleep, you're being um, spooned, which which is all lovely. (laughs) So they they launch on Kickstarter. I think he maybe had a prototype. If if anything, it might have been just a nice Photoshop version. And they did $3 million in sales, which truly shows wow, there is something here. And while they're giving the product to people and getting feedback and see how they would feel if it went away, that is a great signal that, hey, this is probably worth manufacturing this thing to see if uh, this should be a business. But, but I think that's interesting. And what you and I struggle with is, okay, that's great. We understand to get to product market fit, but if we're standing up an idea, crap, how, how much do we invest to make it real and good enough to get to that 40% level because we could be wasting a lot of time and money going after something. And we've been studying a lot of other startup studios, Atomic VC, they, they've done some, some really big companies. They're doing open store, they're doing M's and hers. And what they do is they started off where they would launch one new thing a year. I think they launch one new thing a month now. It might be even more than that. And they essentially give it nine months to live. And then after that, it's on its own. And what I take away from that is giving a fixed runway of time. Well, I'm not acting like we're rolling in money and we don't care about money. I think time is the most precious commodity in all of this. If you're trying to stand up something and get it to, to product market fit. So, Jonathan, how does this play a role in what we're trying to do as far as launch our own companies, but also acquire companies? 
Yeah, so we just discussed product market fit. And I think we, that's a, a very useful skill, or I should say methodology to have as we're vetting these companies. If it's for acquisition, we want to look at the numbers, potentially survey their clients to see, one, are they anywhere near that product market fit? Let's say 40%. Are, would 40% of their users right now, paying users, be very disappointed if the product didn't exist? Knowing that number off the bat, we probably know more about that company and where they are on that product market fit spectrum than the people who currently own it and run it. And that allows us to essentially decide if this is something where if we were to invest our time in, would we feel comfortable getting it to that point? Would we have a, let's say a product roadmap that would help us address some of those issues that the people, the fence sitters have identified uh, that we can hopefully solve for that and get those people to become in the very disappointed category. So that's a methodology we can use when we're acquiring them. When we're trying to build a company from scratch, it's a bit more challenging because we essentially would have to, if, if it's a product that we want to do pre-sales on or maybe build a waiting list, we would build an audience who necessarily haven't parted with money yet um, and haven't essentially haven't played with the product. They haven't experienced the product. So their feedback, I feel like, might be... Um, deceiving a little bit and we might feel like we have a product just because a few people have signed up to a waiting list and that might deceive us and lead us astray so i would feel less confident if we were to follow that methodology but imagine if we were to do that with sales and we knew that it was flying off the shelves and all the metrics associated with it like repeat purchase referral rates the average order value conversion rates all those numbers were looking very promising we would feel very confident that this product had product market fit and we would define the product roadmap and maybe even other product lines we want to build based on the feedback we have from that 40% of obsessed buyers. So that's the, the methodology. Obviously, we'll share more as we go through this process, both through the acquisition and uh, D2C brand building uh, process we're going through. But yeah, it's definitely not a perfect exercise, but there's surely a lot to learn and a lot to, to share with you guys as well. Yeah, because as we're looking to launch this D2C brand that we'll be talking about more, I, I kind of was talking with Jonathan. It's like, we've got to give ourselves a fixed amount of time. We have to put a fixed yeah. amount of money to do this because I think the worst path we could go down is the slow death that we see so many great ideas go down where it's like, oh, I'm working on this thing. It's like, it's almost there. Or, you know, we're, we're just, you know, we're still doing the, the next version of the website and then three years pass and still that same update. I want to be decisive and ruthless, which is hard because I, I hate confrontation and I'm a people pleaser, but I was inspired. I was at some event in Seattle and there's a company here called Pioneer Square Labs and they have a validation team. And I was like, I wanted to talk to them. I was like, this sounds fascinating. And I was at this happy hour. I was talking to this, this girl who works there. She's drinking her glass of Chardonnay in a nice plastic cup. And I was like, what, I was like, what do you do with the validation team? And she like took a sip of her wine. She looked at me and she goes, I'm the idea killer. I killed the ideas. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're so cold-blooded, but that's amazing because you have to remove your bias. You have to remove your emotion from it and be like, if this isn't good enough, we've got to kill it and move on to the next one. But if it gets to that level of traction or product market fit, let's double down and go all in. So 
I'm trying to have that kind of cold bloodedness as we're going into launching this. And so what I was tasking you with was you need to be the person that's cold blooded and tells us when to stop and when to go. What are the metrics for success with this? Cause I'm working on R and D making the product working with our creative director to stand up this brand, working with our ad team to launch it. And what we've decided is, actually, let's even give the options. We're like, there's three, four ways we could validate this. And one is we could build up a wait list, which to be honest, we could do that kind of easily, which I still want to do. The second is, can we actually sell this with just marketing this product and we don't even have to manufacture it. We can sell it. And could we prove unit economics? If this thing costs, you know, 20 bucks to make, if we sell it for 70 bucks, can we do it where the cost per acquisition is, you know, under $20, under $15. But you were like, no, like that, that those are all good signals. But at the end of the day, we need to get the product in people's hands and we need to ask them. So what did we settle on for a sample size as far as how many people need to have this product and use it? The best thing actually is you can get directionally valid data with even, let's say, 40 users. And that gives me confidence because we don't have to acquire a lot of visitors. We don't have to drive a lot of traffic. We don't need to speak with hundreds of people. Uh, if we were to get it into the hands of even 40 people, we would know directionally if we're moving in the, if we are getting the right responses that we want. I think what I would be looking more uh, into is over time, are we getting better? Are we getting closer to that 40% as we're making these tweaks to the messaging, to the positioning, to the product itself as well, if, if it's in the hands of people? Uh, are we addressing those things and pushing more people into the, we would be very disappointed if this product didn't exist category. So that's the trend line that I'm looking for. And the best thing about this though is product market fit. It's not just a number, an absolute number that you look at, but it's, it actually defines the product roadmap. It defines the our priorities as a team and forces us to work on the things that would get us to that 40% mark. And the closer we get, essentially everything else will work around it. The numbers, the unit, unit economics, our ability to grow, potentially raise funding in the future or whatever else is all dependent on us getting closer to that. So it helps organize our thinking and our roadmap going forward. So that's that's the methodology I prefer. All right, I'm fired up. Let's do this. <laughs> so what do we need to watch out for? I kind of alluded to this, you know, time, money, my own bias. Be like, hey, isn't this product great? It's great, right? We all like it just because I'm now attached to it and putting time and energy into it. What else? I think I stole the the answers you could give to that one. Actually, you know, I was I was thinking through what are potential variables that could potentially ruin the way, or I should say, like pollute the way we gather product market fit data. And I think one thing that might play into this is imagine a company with, or I should say, an idea or product with a lot of tailwinds. And I'm thinking of companies that are still in very nascent spaces, think of like a cannabis dispensary or applications for cannabis or even crypto and Bitcoin and, you know, like, and blockchain or anything like that that people are talking about. There's just so much tailwind behind that. It's easy to build hype around something. And that could be false, false noise or data that we could maybe unintentionally tap into that would misguide us a little bit. That would be one thing I would be very aware of wary of, not so much in the D2C space, but definitely if we're going through into SaaS, 
depending on what space we end up going into, that's something I'll look out for. Are there other additional tailwinds in the space that are less indicative of our product and more indicative of the space as a whole? So that's something I would have to keep an eye out. But to be honest, like measuring that in isolation is very difficult. I don't have a necessary, I don't have like a clean way of, of measuring that, but that's something for us to think about. Yeah. That's a really good call out, especially with some of the acquisition companies we want to do that are kind of in that space. Well, great. Yeah. So what else did we hit on everything? Yeah, I think we've handled everything. Well, cool. We're actually doing these now as video podcasts. We're going to put them on YouTube. If you can't see, Jonathan looks more authoritative than me with a, a more legit chair and, and cool cool glasses, whereas I am I clearly look like I've been chasing around a two-year-old and a four-year-old for the past hour and a half. I actually look like this because I'm on my third cup of coffee, <laughs> uh, even though it's 8 a.m. in the morning. So, yeah. That's right. Well, Jonathan, I'll talk to you soon. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthHit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.